Church audio podcast. To find out more information about North Shore Church, please visit us at mynsag.com. We hope you enjoy today's message. So we're glad to have you back. I hope you guys are doing good. If you have your Bible, you can open up to John, Matthew, or Psalms. We're going to be in all three. So, uh, so whichever one you want to go to first, uh, we'll, we'll hit all three of those there in um, just a minute. Today we're starting a brand new series, and it's going to be a little different than what we typically do. Over the next several weeks, what we're going to attempt is we're going to try to identify and clearly communicate six core values that we believe lie at the heart of the culture of this church. And so we're really going to try to take an internal look and, and know who we are. Get, get to know us and, um, and our culture and why we do the things that we do. Over the last about year and a half, we've been asking over and over again, who, who are we? Who do we want to be? Who are we as a church? What, what is our values? What, what do we place emphasis on? Who do we believe that we're supposed to be? And most importantly, who does God want us to be? Who does the Holy Spirit Want us to be, and so maybe you're here today, and you're a first-time guest. Uh, maybe you're a second-time guest. You were you were first time last week. You are at a perfect time in this series, and even the life of the church, as we're really going to try to give you a good picture of of who we are. Who maybe you're here today, and you've been attending North Shore for. 40 plus years. You haven't missed in 40 years. You got a string of gold attendance stars, right? And um, you're like, well then, well then what am I going to get out of this series? Well, hopefully what you get out of this series is the reason why we do what we do. So we don't just uh, do candy bars and donuts out there to make sure that our local dentists stay employed. Amen. We, we do that for a reason. All of this stuff has a reason behind it. And so um, our goal is, through this series, for you to help explain the reason why we do what we do. Because the goal is that if we all have the same level of clarity and understanding, we can all pull hard in the same direction. And when we, as, as a body, as a group of believers, all pull hard in the same direction, then we are more effectively able to forcefully advance the kingdom, which is what we believe God has called us to do. And so that's what we want to do. We want to have some vision, some value, clarity over these next several weeks. And so... I kind of want to start with an illustration. Um, uh, a little while back, I, I was, you know, doing my honeydew list, and and uh, I'm not very good at like construction stuff around the house, and so I put it off as much as I possibly can. And then, and then one day, you know, I could see like I was getting real close to to pushing Melissa to her limit. You know what I mean? So I thought, okay, it's time to get some of this stuff done, and and some of this stuff I need some help with. And so I was kind of in a rush and in a hurry, and I needed Abram, uh, my 12 year old. He was he was younger at the time, but but he's 12 now. I needed my oldest to help me, and so I'm in a hurry and I'm running out to the garage and I say, Abram, come on, I need your help. And he didn't have any shoes on. And I'm like, hurry, hurry, hurry. You know, sometimes as parents, we're kind of jerky. Like we expect them to read our mind and then when they don't respond like that, we, we get on to him, hurry up, man, hurry up. And he's like, like looking around for his shoes. And, I, and then I said, just put, put mom's slides on. They're right there, just put her slides on. And so, and so he kicked his feet into her slides and he, I was gonna have him help me carry something in from the garage. And, and I'm looking at him and he's walking and he's busting out of of his mom's shoes. And, and I look at him, and I yell at him, obviously, because that's what we do as parents. I said, what are you doing? Get 
those shoes off. You're going to rip them. What's wrong with you, man? You know, like I tell him to put the shoes on, and then I yell at him for putting the shoes on. And, and something had happened that I didn't realize had happened, and it happened a while back, but, but I didn't see it. What was happening is that my 12-year-old was growing. You know what I mean? Like, he's too big, and, and it's weird when kids start growing past you, you know? Like, it was always, hey, just throw your mom's jacket on. Just, just put her shoes on right there. You know, they're too big for you. But, but it's like, in an instant, all of that has changed. I'm looking at all of my kids. I'm telling them all the time, stop growing. Just stop growing. I want you to stay young and cute. And innocent. I tell my little, I tell my little kindergarten, she's going to be kindergarten next year. Oh, my God, I can't believe this. She's going to be a kindergartner next year. And I tell her, I want you to stop growing. I want you to stay a baby forever and live with mommy and daddy forever. And some of you are like, not my kids. I want them out of here. <laughs> Listen, you don't know how Lydia, how cute and sweet she is. And, and she gives me hugs and kisses. And, and, and sometimes she kisses me too long. It gets awkward, but I love it. You know what I mean? It's, uh, it's, she's just so sweet. And I say, I want you to stay little forever. I'm going to put a book on your head. I don't want you to grow up. And so I'm telling them all the time, don't grow, don't grow. But whether we want them to or not, they're going to grow, right? They're going to grow. That's just part of it. That was a part of God's plan. That's a part of God's design. There's nothing we can do to stop them from growing. They grow. And I want to talk to you about growth. I believe that the, the, the first core value that we're going to speak to today for our church is this, that we believe a life that is surrendered to Jesus is constantly growing. A life that is surrendered to Jesus is constantly growing. And, and what we're going to do over the course of this series is we're going to put our core values on a wall out there. As you walked in today, you saw a big poster on that gray wall out there. Over the next six weeks, we're going to put a core value up every week because this is what we believe is going to really drive the heartbeat of this church. And we believe a life surrendered to Jesus is constantly growing. And so that drives some of our behavior. That's why we do North Shore Connect. That's why we do Financial Peace University and North Shore University and life groups and, and different Bible studies. That's why we, we pay for a Right Now Media subscription, which all of you have access to. And it's, and it's uh, basically a Christian Bible study Netflix. It's got thousands of Bible studies for you to have access to because we believe a life surrendered to Jesus is constantly growing. That's why we continually push ministry teams and, and Bible reading and Project 365 because a life surrendered to Jesus is constantly growing. Psalm chapter 92 verse 12 says this, the righteous flourish like the palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our Lord. They still bear fruit in old age. Amen? Come on, that needs to be something that we are excited about. They still bear fruit in old age. What that means is that God isn't finished with you until you're dead. Come on. That's so good. That God has a place for you, a plan for you, a ministry for you. God has something for you. And this is what the righteous are. The righteous flourish. They are ever full. It's my prayer that we would be a church full of people that grow, that flourish, that bear fruit. And I don't want to be a church that, that looks like we should bear fruit but have none. I want us to be a church full of people, full of believers who are growing in the faith. And not just so full of head knowledge that they can quote scripture, but are full of fruit that we actually do what the Holy Spirit has asked us to do. So what we're going to do today to, to really look into this, to 
see what we need to do to be a people to keep growing is I want to look at the Gospel of John at a man named Nicodemus. So we're going to look at Nicodemus, and, and I believe that what you're going to see in this is a process of growth. As, as Nicodemus begins to surrender his status, his finances, his will, and his tradition to Jesus, there is this, this element of growth that we see play out in his life over the series of about a week. If you've ever seen, we're coming right out of the Easter season, and if you've ever seen an Easter play or a musical or a video or a movie or anything like that, there's always a scene in there that seems to be odd and out of place. It, it never seems to, to fully resolve itself. And it's this scene where Jesus has this midnight conversation with Nicodemus. And, and it's usually like over here in the, in the trees up in the set and, and everything else is dark and the spotlight's over here and, and Nicodemus and Jesus have this conversation. And what's weird about this conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus is it just seems like it ends. And I've always struggled with this in watching these plays and movies is it just seems like the conversation ends. It's just over. There's no resolution to it. It's just, you know, you must be born again, go to the next scene, start the music, somebody else is going to come sing a solo. You know what I mean? There's never any resolution to it, and, and I want to walk you through this, because if we look at just this one scene, we're going to realize that there is no resolution, but, but this is the, the catalyst to growth in Nicodemus' life that's going to culminate in this radical surrender in him. And I want you to see this. We're going we're gonna to walk through this. It starts in John chapter 3, verse 1. It says, there was a man named Nicodemus, a Jewish religious leader who was a Pharisee. And we've talked about the Pharisees over the last several weeks. And uh, if you've been here with us, you know that the Pharisees were, were the religious leaders and they lived very strict, very pious, very um, by the book kind of lives. These were the guys who knew scripture inside and out. And Nicodemus was one of their top leaders. He was one of the top leaders in, in the Sanhedrin. He was a man with the answers. So if you had a question about God, about scripture, about any of this, about the Messiah, about prophecy, about any of this stuff, if you had a question about it, you would go to Nicodemus and Nicodemus would be the one that, that you would you know, find your answers from. And so he, he had it going on. He was very high in, in the council. He was very well respected. In verse 10, Jesus actually calls him a respected Jewish leader. A, a literal translation of that would mean that he was the teacher of the Jews. Like he was the one. So if you had a question, you would go to Nicodemus. Knowing this makes this exchange that Nicodemus has with Jesus very strange. Because Nicodemus wasn't ever the one to ask the questions he was the, always the person that was being asked the questions. Everybody would come to him with their questions. He had the answers, but now he was coming with questions. And, and so it's a strange dynamic. And so let's read this. Verse 2. After dark one evening, Nicodemus came to speak with Jesus. Rabbi, he said, we all know that God has sent you to teach us. Your miraculous signs are evidence that God is with you. And so this is the context that we see. The Pharisees are always calling Jesus out. They're always blaming him. They're always accusing him. They're always trying to discredit him. They never honor him. They never lift him up or identify him with any sort of leadership influence at all. But something is different in this exchange that Nicodemus calls him rabbi, which means teacher. And so the teacher of the Jews is calling this odd, homeless, religious kind of maverick a teacher. 
And so, so that becomes weird and initially, and really Nicodemus is setting the stage to potentially sacrifice all of his influence and social clout when he calls Jesus rabbi. And in this, I, I think it's important that we understand something. That Nicodemus is coming to Jesus, and he's saying, look, it's obvious that you've been sent from the Lord. Um, you're doing amazing miracles. And, and Nicodemus, this man with all the answers, very highly respected religious leader, he comes to Jesus, and essentially he says this, I know that there are things that I don't know, and I want to know them. I know that there are things that I don't know. And this is where I believe many believers, if you've been following Jesus for any amount of time, especially if you've grown up in the church and Sunday school and, and all of that stuff, it's very hard for us to come to the place where we look at Scripture, where we look at God, where we look at church, and we humbly submit ourselves to this statement saying, I know there are things that I don't know. Because most of us, we come to church and we say, heard this sermon before, heard this illustration before, I saw this one on Facebook last week, and you stole it. I know you didn't come up with that one on your own, right? But, but it's hard for us to just come humbly to Scripture and say, I know there are things that I don't know, because many of us come with it looking at this thing, and we believe it, or we know it all. We've heard it all. We have all the answers. And so this is something very unique about Nicodemus that I think is important for us today. This is what made Nicodemus so special. He was persistent in his pursuit of the truth. He would search for the truth and he would open himself up to answers. And when the rest of the Pharisees are saying, we know everything, he's saying, no, there are things that I know that I don't know that I want to know. Teach me. Teach me. A life surrendered to Jesus is constantly growing. We must be a people willing to grow. No matter how much we know, no matter how many times we've read the Bible cover to cover, no matter how many Bible studies we've been through, we must be a people who are willing to grow. Too many times we've convinced ourselves that we've arrived, that we've come far enough, that because we're better than we used to be, we don't have to go any further than we are right now. But the reality is a life surrendered to Jesus is constantly growing. And I believe that there's a theme that the Holy Spirit is just hammering over and over and over in our church this year is this theme of more. That God has more for you. God wants to do more in you, wants to do more through you. He wants to take you further than he's ever taken you before. A life surrendered to Jesus is constantly growing. That's what I love about Nicodemus. Even though he was the one with the answers, he was convinced that there was more. So he's saying, Jesus, I know there's something that I don't know that I want to know. Teach me. Verse 3, Jesus replied, I tell you the truth. Unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of heaven. What do you mean, exclaimed Nicodemus? How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? So Jesus tells Nicodemus, you have to be born again. And Nicodemus asks one of the most ridiculous and absurd questions in all of Scripture. Nicodemus says, uh, Jesus, what do you mean, how am I, a grown man, supposed to get back in my mother's womb and be born again? This is difficult. Now, I know that we always say, hey, look, there's no such thing as a dumb question, right? This is a dumb question, amen? And you tell your kids all the time, look, there's no such thing as a dumb question. You just ask whatever you want to ask. And then they, they surprise you by bringing in really dumb questions, right? 
And then you're just like, mm, I don't know, go ask your mom. I don't know, I just, I don't know, I don't know. But, but this may go down in all of scripture as the dumbest question ever asked. How can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again? And just, just think of these implications, like what Nicodemus is, is thinking through, right? This is the first time he's hearing this. He doesn't fully understand. And so, like, is he going to pull out his cool little Pharisee flip phone and call his mom in the middle of the night, right? Hey, mom. Yeah, it's, it's me. It's Nick. Yeah, I know. No, I'm, I'm here. I'm talking to Jesus. You know, it's just kind of a one-on-one thing. We're, we're chatting here. And he said, you know, uh, in order to get to heaven, uh, mom, look, I know it's late, you know, I, but in order to get to heaven, I have to get back in the womb somehow, and um, be born again. No, I'm serious, Mom. I, I know. You didn't think I was going to fit last time either, but I, I don't know. Like, right? This is a dumb question, yes? I, he, how can a grown man get back into his mother's womb and be Born again. I think that if this was a requirement for heaven, a lot of moms would look at their sons and say, you know what? I do love you, but we're, you know, not that much, you know? We're not, we're not doing this. It's a dumb question, yes. But that's not the point. The point is that he was asking the dumb question to the right person. Let me say this again. He was asking his dumb question to the right person. We don't have to ask the right question. We just have to ask the right person. We have to take our questions to the right person. This is the, the key to all spiritual growth. We have to take our questions to God. We have to take our questions to Jesus. We have to humbly come to this understanding that there are things that we don't know, we have to find our answers in Jesus. Research shows us that children ask 125 probing questions every day. If you've ever been around a toddler, you know this is true, and you know it can be exhausting, right? 125 probing questions every day. Why is the sky blue? Why is the grass green? Why is the giraffe's neck long? Did I say that right? I may have messed that up. Why, you know, why is this? And, and Daddy, can I be a dinosaur when I grow up? In this culture, buddy, you can be whatever you want. It's weird. So maybe. I don't know. I don't know. You know, they ask questions after questions after questions. Why? Because, because kids aren't convinced that they know everything. Teenagers, that's a different story. But, but kids aren't convinced that they know everything. They know that there are things that they don't know, so they ask questions. 125 probing questions every day. Adults ask six. And most of them are, why did you hit your sister? Do you have any homework? And what are we having for dinner? That's like the extent of our probing questions. Kids, 125. Adults, six. We must be really smart, huh? We must, we must be really smart. We must have a lot of answers. My thought is this. What would happen if every day we asked God 125 probing questions? What if we just begin to ask God 125 probing questions a day? Do you think he would speak to you in ways that he's never spoken to you before? I think yes. Do you think you'd begin to understand his character and his nature in a way that you've never understood before? I think yes. 
Do you think that you would uh, have better clarity in the direction that God has for your life, for your future, for your kids, for your legacy? I think yes. And do you think that potentially in the 125 questions you would ask one or two dumb ones? Yeah. If you're asking 125, of course you would. But the reality is it doesn't matter if they are smart or dumb. The matter is where you're taking your questions to. And and the, the frustrating thing is even as I was writing this and thinking through this, I don't know if I could come up with 125 questions for God in a month, let alone a day. I must be really smart, huh? I must know a lot. And I think that sometimes we convince ourselves that we've arrived at a place where we think God is impressed with us. So we stop looking to him for guidance and direction. We stop looking to him for growth. I wonder what would happen if we started asking those dumb questions to the right person. I wonder how it would change our lives. Let's keep going. Let's look at Nicodemus, verse 5. Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and the Spirit. Humans can only reproduce only human-like, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say you must be born again. What Jesus is saying to Nicodemus is, no, 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 you got it all wrong. It's, it's not a physical thing. It's a spiritual thing. But he's drawing parallels that are very close between physical birth and spiritual birth. You see, in physical birth, mothers have to endure great pain in order to bring new life. In spiritual birth, Jesus had to endure great pain to bring about spiritual life. You know what I'm talking about? In physical birth, the child starts with a, a clean slate. There is only hope and only future. In spiritual birth, The new Christian starts with a clean slate. The blood of Jesus wipes away every sin, cleanses, washes it white as snow. We've all all heard those stories. And and he gives us hope and a future. He he, he puts a, a stake in the ground and says, from this point on, everything is new. That's why we celebrate the resurrection. That's why we celebrate new life. It's all hope. It's all future. But it doesn't seem that in this moment, Nicodemus fully gets it. Because this section just ends with with Nicodemus asking dumb questions and Jesus trying to explain. But there is never any resolution to this conversation. We don't know whether Nicodemus is growing or not. You see, there are oftentimes when we are pursuing Jesus, we don't know whether we're growing or not until a later point where we look back and we realize the shoes don't fit anymore. Does this make sense? We can't see ourselves growing until there's a moment where we realize, oh my goodness, there's growth. Growth. So let's fast forward to John chapter 7. Nicodemus appears in scripture for the second time. And at this time, Jesus is, you know, creating a stir with his message. The Pharisees are hating him. We talked about this a couple weeks ago about their plot to uh, arrest and kill him. They wanted Jesus completely eliminated. And John chapter 7, verse 41 says this, Will the Messiah come from Galilee? The Pharisees are saying, For the scriptures clearly state that the Messiah will be born of the royal line of David in Bethlehem, the village where King David was born. So the crowd was divided about him. When the temple guards returned without having arrested Jesus, the leading priests and Pharisees demanded, Why didn't you bring him in? We have never heard anyone speak like this, the guards responded. Have you been led astray too? The Pharisees mocked. Is there a single one of us rulers or Pharisees who believe in him? This foolish crowd follows him, but they are ignorant of the law. God God's curse is on him. And so these Pharisees are standing up and and they're just frustrated with Jesus. They're saying, uh, the scripture tells us, Old Testament prophecy tells us that the Messiah is coming from Bethlehem. Jesus came from Galilee. 
Now, was it wrong of the Pharisees to say that the Messiah is coming from Bethlehem? Was that wrong? No, that wasn't wrong because that's what Scripture says, that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. But what happened was, in their arrogance, they refused to ask any questions. They operated only in assumption. What they didn't know was that Jesus, though from Galilee, was born where? In Bethlehem. To fulfill every dot, every line, every comma of prophecy about him. These religious leaders were becoming mad, madder and madder. And the, and the, and the more angry they got, the more arrogant they became. They're looking around, they're saying, does one single one of us Pharisees believe that Jesus is the Messiah? No, absolutely not. All of these morons that are following Jesus, all of these idiots that are following Jesus, all of these fools that are following Jesus are stupid, they're ignorant, they're dumb. We know our opinions matter. My opinion is the only thing that matters because I'm standing on the stage and I'm so right. Arrogance hinders growth and leads to anger every single time. Some of you are here today and you, you're just, you're, you feel angry. You always feel angry and you think, man, I got an anger problem. I got an anger issue. And you're trying to deal with your anger issue. For some of you, it may not be an anger issue. It may be an arrogance issue. And when you begin to humble yourself in a way that says, you know what? I may not be right all the time. Things will begin to change. You're frustrated because nobody else is convinced that you have life figured out like you're convinced that you have life figured out. And that arrogance leads to anger. Basically, these Pharisees are saying, who cares if these stupid commoners believe that Jesus is, is the Messiah? They don't know anything, and their opinions don't matter. Mine does. There's only arrogance and accusations, no questions. What if they would have just asked questions? Jesus, where are you from? Well, I'm from Galilee, but I was born in Bethlehem. What if they would have just simply asked? What if they would have just simply submitted to a process of growth? See, when we refuse to grow, when we stop growing, we become blind to simple truths. Simple truths. When we think we've arrived, arrogance clouds even the simplest truth. I want you to see this. Charles Darwin, he was... Arrogant in his stance for evolution because he believed he'd arrived. And, and he was always accusatory in his position against God and a creator. And I believe because of his arrogance, he was blind to simple truths. This is, this is a quote from Charles Darwin. He says, To suppose that the eye with all of its imitable contrivances for adjusting the focus to different distances, for admitting different amounts of light, and for the correction of spherical and chromatic aberration could have been formed by natural selection seems, I confess, absurd in the highest degree. He's saying the eye, just the eye, is so complex and perfect in its nature that it's absurd to suggest that this happened by accident or natural selection. He is saying it seems so complex that it has to come from a creator, yet he remained firm in his stance against creation. Arrogance blinds us to the simplest of truths, yes? 
Matthew chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus prayed this prayer, O Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to the childlike. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying we have to humbly submit ourselves to this position where we say, I know that there are things that I don't know and I'm going to the one, Jesus, who knows them to reveal them to me. We have to, like children, Submit ourselves to this process of growth and go to Jesus. Go to the Holy Spirit. Go to Scripture and say, I I need to grow in this. I need to know this. I need to learn in this. I need to be better than what I was. I need to understand things in ways that I don't. And again, we don't have to have all the answers. We don't even have to have the right questions. We just have to go to the one who has all of those answers. Isn't that refreshing? I I wonder what would happen if we would just relax. If we would just sort of calm down in our own spiritual arrogance and say, Holy Spirit, what do I need to know? What are you wanting to reveal to me today? Where do you want me to grow? Those of us who've been in the church a long time have to be careful that we don't stop. Everyone needs to take a step. Everyone needs to progress and move forward. Some of you, it's a step into leadership. Some, it's a step in baptism. Some, it's a step of tithing. Some, it's a step of fasting. Some, it's a step of, of Bible study and prayer. But, but it's a step, and all of us need to know that we have another step to take. Verse 50 says, Then Nicodemus, the leader who had met with Jesus earlier, spoke up, and he says, Is it legal to convict a man before he is given a hearing? And the Pharisees get frustrated with Nicodemus again. And it doesn't seem that Nicodemus is yet born again, but he's leaning in to Jesus. He's saying, like, like, look, let's not overreact in accusing Jesus. Let's at least hear him out and give him a trial. And the Pharisees' response is, they, they say this to Nicodemus, are you from Galilee too? Search the scriptures and see for yourself. No prophet ever comes from Galilee. And they are right. The prophet Messiah would not come from Galilee. They would come from Bethlehem, and Jesus did. But if they were humble enough to seek and ask, They would have found the answer. But this is what happens is when you can't answer an argument, you attack the seeker or you attack the speaker. We see this in politics today, right? You can't answer the argument, so attack the person. This is what they're doing. Nothing is new. They challenged Nicodemus to study the scriptures, and my guess is that's exactly what he did, and he kept growing. He kept moving forward. He kept digging and digging until he found what he was looking for, and so the question is, did Nicodemus ever become born again? Did he ever discover that Jesus was the Messiah? Did he ever cross that line? Did he ever take that step? Well, well, let's look at what happened, And, and I don't think we'll find this answer until after Jesus dies on the cross, and so this is after Jesus has been sacrificed, been killed on the cross. John chapter 19, verse 38 says this. Afterward, Joseph of Arimathea, who had been a secret disciple of Jesus, because he feared the Jewish um, leaders, asked Pilate for permission to take down Jesus' body. Then Pilate gave permission. Joseph came and took the body away. With him came who? Nicodemus. Nicodemus, along with Joseph of Arimathea, were the ones who took Jesus' body down off of the cross. It says, with him came Nicodemus, the man who had come to Jesus at night. He brought 75 pounds of perfumed ointment made from myrrh and aloes. Following Jewish burial custom, they wrapped Jesus' body with the spices in long sheets of linen cloth. The place of crucifixion was near a garden where there was a new tomb never used before. And so, because it was the day of preparation for the Jewish Passover, and since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. So here's the question. Did Nicodemus 
find what he was looking for? Did Nicodemus get the answer? Did Nicodemus submit his spiritual life to the growth that led to him being born again? I believe 100%, without a doubt, absolutely yes, he did. That Jesus or Nicodemus grew to the point that he discovered Jesus as his Messiah. I believe it with all of my heart. That, that not only did Nicodemus discover Jesus as the Messiah, but, but Nicodemus was also instrumental in fulfilling Old Testament prophecy about Jesus with Jesus being uh, anointed with myrrh and aloes. And, and I have three reasons why I believe this. Number one, the first reason why I believe that, that Nicodemus had surrendered his life and continued to grow in his relationship was because he boldly identified with Jesus at a time when it seemed Jesus was a failure. Think about this in context. We have the, the, the other side of the resurrection, and so we know, but in that moment, Jesus was dead. And so Nicodemus was, was struggling in this. He was struggling to take a stand and stand up for Jesus. So we see this in the, in the council of the Sanhedrin. But in this moment, after Jesus' death, Nicodemus comes in and he boldly identifies with him, even though it seems like all hope had been lost. He took a public stand for Jesus at the worst possible time. Nicodemus comes in and comes alongside and identifies with Jesus when every single one of Jesus' disciples ran away. He took a public stand at the moment of death for Jesus. Number two, I believe that he, he identified with Jesus and, and was born again because he had prepared all the spices and aloes and the linen clothes. He had gotten them ready so that he could prepare Jesus' body for burial. Now that is a radical understanding of scripture in a way that he was preparing the body of a Messiah who he knew would be sacrificed. Think about this as well. Many commentaries suggest that the myrrh and the aloes that Nicodemus brought to prepare Jesus' body for burial would have cost monetarily anywhere between $200,000 and $500,000. Nicodemus meets Jesus and there's this process of growth. And on Friday, when Jesus was killed, Nicodemus brought an a offering, a, a lavish, extravagant offering that was worth two hundred dollars to $500,000. That's significant, right? It's significant. I say this all the time, and I believe it's true. You can give without growing, but you can't grow without giving. We just went through our Blessed Life series, and we know that that's so true. You can give and not grow. Like, you can give for whatever reason. You can give out of selfish reasons. You can give to be recognized. You can give because it makes you feel better. You can give without growing, but you cannot grow without giving. You can't advance in your relationship with Jesus without being faithful with your finances. It's impossible. Number three. The third reason why I believe that Nicodemus had crossed that, that border into new life was because he touched a dead body. And some of you may not understand this fully, but, but those of you who know and understand Scripture and have read Old Testament and know some, some of this stuff, you know how significant this is. As a strict Pharisee, one of the most important celebrations they observed was the Passover celebration. It would have been unthinkable, 
unthinkable for a strict Pharisee to defile himself in such a way that would cause him to miss out on the Passover ceremony. Because when they would touch a dead body, they would have to go through a season of ceremonial cleansing. And if he touched a dead body, that season of ceremonial cleansing would have, would have caused him to miss out on all of the Passover celebration. And so for Nicodemus to touch this dead body and, and miss out on the Passover celebration, it would have only come if he knew that Jesus' death was a fulfillment of the Passover promise. And so Nicodemus was sacrificing years and years and years of tradition, saying, no, 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 I don't care about tradition. I care about Jesus. I don't care about the party. I care about the promise. So we know, we know, we know that he was committed. Now I want to close with a little picture, a little illustration. Go ahead and stand on your feet. We're getting ready to wrap up here. You know, I often bring my dumb questions to the Holy Spirit, and I, and I feel like he usually speaks through a picture or an analogy. And this is something that I feel like the Holy Spirit has just kind of been working on me here for a while. Um, you see, in church, we all have different backgrounds or different sorts of people, and often we get caught up in where we are rather than where we're going. We get caught up in this moment of time where I am right now than, than the direction I'm heading. And so I, I felt like a, the Lord gave me this picture. If you, if you see like, like this like a football field, okay? Like, like imagine there's a football field up here and now that we have Scott Frost as our coach, we like football again, amen? And so this, will, this analogy will work. And so see it like a football field and the goal of every believer is to get into the end zone where we become like Christ, right? Like say in the end zone, that is where we are fully like Christ. And, and so the goal for all of us is to progress down the field to the end zone. Now, now we all have different starting points in our journey, don't we? Just like a football game. Some of you started at the 20. Like not good, not bad. It's just kind of like the average, the, you know, the starting place where most people start at. And, and um, you know, maybe you had a little bit of God and a little bit of Sunday school and a little bit of Jesus and it kind of took a while to get going. And, and now you feel like you're making some decisions, you're getting committed, you're taking some steps and you're beginning to uh, move down the field. Some of you are here today and, and you, you know you started at the one. Maybe you grew up in a home that, that there was abuse. Maybe there was spiritual abuse, physical abuse, sexual, and, 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 and it caused you to, to go down a path where you were doing some very destructive, sinful things as well. And you look at your life and you say, I'm as far away from Christ as I could possibly be. And I don't know if he would even be willing to accept me. I don't know that if God would even uh, allow me to begin to pursue him because I am so far, I can't get any further away from Jesus than what I am right now. I, I am too far away. I've done too much bad. He'll never accept me. And I want you to know something, that if you're over here on the one, it doesn't matter how far away you are from Jesus. All that matters is that you turn towards him and start moving in that direction. That is all he cares about. That is all he cares about. You can be as far away from him as you could possibly get. And he's over here. He's cheering you on. And the second he sees you turn, he says, yes, you're going the right way now. Others of you, you didn't start at the 20. 
You didn't start at the, the one. My grandpa's a pastor, Pastor Mel, my dad's a pastor, growing up in a ministry home. Like, I, I knew what it meant to act like a Christian before I knew what it meant to be a real Christian. And that's no joke. It's no joke. And so let's say I started on the 50, right? I didn't have to go through some things. There's some of you here, you started on the 50. Maybe you started over here on the other 40. Maybe you've been following Jesus for so long, you know, you're here at the 50 and you're making good progress and everybody looks at you and they see a Christian, they see a believer. The problem is, a lot of us here, we get stuck. And instead of keeping our eyes focused on Jesus, we start turning back and looking at the people behind us. And we see people on the 20-yard line and we see their language. We think, they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. They're far from God. They don't love Jesus. They're not, they're, not, they're not disciples. They're not growing. Because look at the way they talk. We look at people back there on the 30, and we say, if they love Jesus, they wouldn't be wearing that shirt to church. They don't love Jesus. We look at people back on the 1, and say, if they love Jesus, those bad things wouldn't be happening to them. And what happens is we stop growing because we look back and we begin to judge other people instead of turning and facing Jesus and surrendering my life and my will to him and saying, you know what, Jesus? Listen, I know there are people behind me and, and I'm going to follow you as hard and as fast as I can. And if I can create a rut in the ground, if I can create a rhythm in the ground, if I can do things that are going to make it easier for them to follow you too, I'm going to keep following and I'm just going to pray that the wake becomes so powerful that other people follow you further. And, and if we keep our eyes on Jesus and if we keep taking a step and keep taking a step and keep taking a step and stop worrying about people that are back here, but keep stepping to Jesus, the kingdom of God is going to be advanced more forcefully, more aggressively, and more numerically than we could ever imagine. But I have discovered something. It's a whole lot easier to gain ground back here on the one and the 20 than it is up here. I want you to know something. Those of you who have been believers for a long time, you know this is true. And I want you to hear me. This is a core value of us. We need you to keep growing. The red zone is not the end zone. Let me say the red zone is not the end zone. Even though you're close, you haven't arrived. And when you're here in the red zone, you're not getting 10 yard increments at a time. You're growing inch by inch. And it doesn't feel like you're growing. And it doesn't feel like you're moving. But we have to keep surrendering and then we have to keep growing. Back over here, the growth is usually surface stuff. It's usually external stuff. When we get over here, the Holy Spirit begins to touch deep-seated traditions, deep-seated opinions, things that have been there for a long time. He has to do deep spiritual surgery here for us to grow, but we have to submit ourselves to the process. A life surrendered to Jesus is constantly growing. If we're here and we're looking back and judging them, we're not growing. Keep your eyes focused on Jesus. We hope you
enjoyed today's message. If you'd like to connect with us or if you want more information about North Shore Church, please visit mynsag.com.